All right, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy. Uh, We're going to get there uh, this morning. Uh, I promise we will. Last week, I promised that, and we didn't get past page 3 of my notes. So (laughs) I I promise we're going to try and make a little bit more progress uh, this morning. Uh, Of course, as I mentioned last time, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm introducing, this is the second week of an introduction, on a, a new class called The Ologies which is just really a cute way of saying we're studying systematic theology. Um, And last week and even this week, this morning, I want to really emphasize and stress uh, just the importance of studying theology. And I took a survey last time, and hardly any of us here would say that we are theologians. And yet, um, actually, I want to show you throughout this class, but even just sort of whet your appetite here this morning, that actually being a theologian is just being a disciple of God. Um, And so it's not a question of whether you are or not going to be a theologian. The question is whether you are or not going to be a good theologian, so to speak. And last time we just really talked about what theology is. We broke it down uh, and we tried to sort of lay that groundwork. Who remembers, if you were here, what theology means? Anybody remember? It's a quiz. And you get a. What? The study of God. Study of God. Literally, it means discourse about God. I think study about God is a better way, perhaps, for us to understand it. And theology is is just that. It's discoursing about God. And, of course, we identify the fact that there's lots of fields of theology out there. And the basis of, of theology for us, for Christians, of course, is the, is the Word of God. And we talked a lot about last time, and this is kind of what divulged me or diverted me from what I want to talk about, and that's why I promise I'm not going to do that this morning, but uh, we talked a lot about what biblical theology is. Biblical theology, of course, is this, uh, this discipline within the realm of theology that says that the Word of God, from which we learn about who God is, all has a singular point. And the singular point of God's Word, of course, is the revelation of the Son of God. The Redeemer, that's what all uh, of God's word is meant to convey. And I think in a couple weeks, um, Jason is going to talk about bibliology, which is the study of the Bible, the doctrine of God's word. And, and within that, he's, he's going to talk, I'm not going to steal his thunder, but he's going to talk about inerrancy. He's going to talk about all those things that come to your mind when we think about God's word. But what I was striving to stress, and I would stress again, is that, yes, the Bible is inerrant. It doesn't have any error in what it conveys about who God is, but also it's not random. that's what biblical theology strives to show is that the bible has a lot of stories that feel random why do we have this in there like we were talking about yesterday paul Uh, genealogies why do we have these in there why do we have these records of of who begat who why do we have that story like we mentioned a couple weeks ago why do we have that story of that random woman who takes a tent spike and pegs it through a guy's temple in the book of judges Why do we have that story? Biblical theology is stressing the fact that all of those lead us and usher us to see the Savior. They usher us to see Christ. That's what biblical theology stresses. Commercial, by the way, that's what we're talking about on Sunday nights. Um, So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But just know that all of what we're going to do here in this class of theologies is rooted in the Word. It has as its, if you're thinking about it like a pyramid... 
The bottom layer of the pyramid, so to speak, is the word of God. That's where all of this comes from. Any type of theological thought that comes from outside of the Bible should be checked by the Bible. It should be checked by God's word. So theology must be rooted on God's word. And without it, we don't have any leg to stand on, so to speak. And that's, that's sort of the, the point I, I, I was hoping to, to, to stress last time. But again, we're going to stress it here this morning. You're in 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy, actually, chapter 4. Because I think Paul is, is circling around this idea of theology, even if he doesn't ever mention that word uh, explicitly within his letters to Timothy. God has preserved for us in the Bible this self-revelation of who he is. And that's where all good theology comes from. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God, this is 2 Timothy 4.1, and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, notice, preach the word. Like the most succinct sort of, uh, of, of commission to Timothy is to stick with what God's word says. And of course, if you know anything about these letters in First and Second Timothy, Paul is the apostle, is writing to his protege, his, his pupil, his student in Timothy, the one who has been through a lot, seen a lot on all of Paul's missionary journeys. He's, he's, he's conveying, he's giving him this sort of pastoral charge, so to speak, as he takes over or he is within the midst of ministry in Ephesus. And chief among all of the things that Paul says, and in fact, you can find out all of the references in 2 Timothy and in 1st, that chief among all of the things that he is trying to get Timothy to glean and to grasp is to stick with, is to stay with, and to preach the sound doctrine of God. Which is a shorthand way of saying, uh, stay with where you have learned your good theology, so to speak, if you want to put it that way. He's counseling him to stay true to God's word. Otherwise, he's going to end up leading people so far off. Flip back a page to 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 16. If he doesn't, if he, if he takes a little divergent path, He's going to end up leading people astray, which was the really regrettable fate of two individuals that Paul calls out here, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And notice, um, what he, what he, notice how Paul describes their words, or for our purposes, you could think about it. Notice how he describes their theology. Notice what he says. But avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. You notice, they have this really divergent sort of theological idea. The resurrection has already happened. You've missed it, which is, of course, yes, it's shipwrecking the faith of some people who don't have perhaps a good enough knowledge of the word of God to refute them. But also, did you notice how, he's, how he talks about their, their talk? Hymenaeus and, and Philetus, all their talk is, he says, it's babble, irreverent babble, which essentially could translate to uh, empty chatter. It's, it's nothing. It's just like hot air. 
And all of that, all of that hard air, hot air, all of that empty chatter was just leading them to depart from God's truth, depart from the faith. And, and I think the, the key here that I notice is that it's not just them. It's not just these two teachers that Paul's calling out. It's, it's others. It's not just their hearts that have been led astray. They are likewise leading others astray. Did you notice that? Verse 18 again. Who they've swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some of others. See, this is, this is again why good theology is so important. Because the most devastating part of bad theology is it's not just a matter of you getting distracted or getting something wrong. It's a matter where the faith of others is either being built up or it's being torn down. You're either uh, making someone else or helping someone else become stronger in their faith or you're helping them become weaker. Which is why it's, it's, it's so significant for each of us to consider ourselves not only theologians, but to go to the word and say, how is God revealing himself to me through this word of revelation? And he's confronting Timothy. Paul is confronting Timothy with these negative examples, I think, so that he might be saved from making the same mistake. He, he's trying to uh, prevent Timothy from falling into the same ditch that Hymenaeus and Philetus fell into, which is what? Which is just getting so far off and what you're trying to say about who God is and what God's truth is that you end up shipwrecking your faith and the faith of others. So how do you, how do you avoid doing that? Well, Paul tells us, how do you avoid irreverent babble? How do you avoid just having all of your, your speech, having all of your theology spread like gangrene, like an infection? It's kind of a nasty image. He tells us in the verse previous, by rightly handling the word of truth. Notice verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. See, Timothy, what he's being sort of shown here by Paul is that he is theologically responsible for the spiritual health and growth of the church that he was called to pastor. And as such, because he was theologically responsible for them, the best way that he could serve them to serve this flock that he was called to shepherd was to constantly remind them of these things. Notice verse 14, jump back one verse, notice Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to approve, to present yourself to God as one approved. So he's conveying to Timothy the best way that you can usher your, your people, the church that you've been called to shepherd and to pastor into, uh, into godliness, into holiness, into living by faith, is to constantly remind them of these things, a.k.a. teach them theology. Teach them about the God who has revealed himself in the word of God that we have in front of us. And again, not in some sort of contentious manner, as he says. Don't quarrel about words, not in some sort of argumentative manner. Being a theologian is not always uh, 
mean that you're going around looking for debates and looking to argue with people. Maybe you can call them out when their theology is pretty bad, but that, that's not what Paul is conveying. Hey, don't go around being a mercenary looking for debates. But the way to what he's conveying again is to resist this in, infection of bad theology is by teaching good theology, by sticking with the word, staying on sound doctrine. And this has been Paul's motivation from the very beginning of his charge to Timothy. Notice, let's go to a couple of these places. Go, go to 1 Timothy, look at chapter 1. Look what he says. 1 Timothy 1, look at verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Again, you notice, don't teach any different doctrine. What does that do? It ends you getting into the ditch of speculation, the ditch of myths, of, of things that have no sort of solid footing, solid ground. Uh, the only thing that allows you that, uh, to have solid footing is the doctrine of God that he's been stressing. Go to chapter number 4, same book, First Timothy 4. Look at verse uh, number, uh, number 6. If you put these things before the, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of, uh, is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this we toil and strive, because we have set, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Again, notice what he's stressing. Don't veer off into other discussions. Again, you notice that same word: irreverent, silly myths, babble, empty chatter, hot air. Any theology that isn't rooted in God's word is just that. It's empty chatter. And Paul's saying, stick with the word, because that's where your words don't just become irreverent. They become uh, such that leads people into wholesomeness and holiness. Go to chapter number 6, look at verse uh, number 3. 1 Timothy 6, look at verse 3. He says, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. He's not mincing words. Timothy is to hold to the sound words of God and to teach the theology that comes from God's word. In that way, he avoids speculation. And instead, he promotes sincere faith and 
love. And that leads him to this final charge that we just read a couple minutes ago in 2 Timothy 2. Again, if you think about Paul's life and you think about this letter, I think it adds to what is happening here in this moment. This is Paul's perhaps last written letter within the word of God, but maybe the last written letter he ever wrote. And he's writing to Timothy. And one of the last things he calls him to do is to, yes, again, to at least how I understand it, is to be a good theologian. Rightly divide the word of truth. Again, look at verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good. It has no good for anyone. Instead, what does it do? It only ruins the hearers. It leads them into all kinds of unfounded beliefs and silly myths. Instead, do your best to present yourself, do your best, strive, make every single effort you can, be entirely eager to present yourself to God as one approved, as one tested, tested by way of being examined, prove yourself a a genuine worker, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling, cutting straight, and you're cutting a two by four, and you don't measure correctly, you can end off. You can, you can end off so far out of whack. What's the old saying? Measure twice, cut once, and then you have a nice smooth cut. Essentially, think of the same thing. Cutting straight the word of truth doesn't happen because we handle it flippantly, because we get distracted by trying to get other things into the word of God. Irreverent, silly myths. That's like cutting a two by four without measuring at all. Being a good theologian is sticking with the word. You're cutting straight. You're setting forth God's word of truth. And I think what's most revealing is the word that Paul uses here. He calls the Timothy, he's calling him to be a worker. Did you notice that word? A worker who has no need to be ashamed. It means it can mean two things. This word in, in the Greek, it can refer to like a laborer in the field. So someone harvesting, someone uh, uh, sort of bringing in crops from out in the field. So you're like a, a, a fieldman, uh, a farmer, so to speak. Or it can also mean like an artist with a canvas. They can essentially mean both ideas. It can convey both images, which I think leads us to understand then that quote-unquote, doing theology, studying God's word, is both uh, a task that involves toil and involves us working, but it also involves talent and involves this, this idea that the more we stick with it, the more we're able to see and perceive and know and understand. Which leads us, again, going back to what we asserted at the beginning. Being a theologian is not reserved for some sort of special class of people. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for uh, seminary professors. It's not just for, quote-unquote, learned people. Becoming a good theologian is, is, I think, what God wants each and every single one of us to enjoy and to learn. It should be your joy and delight to grow in your theological knowledge. That's why Paul says, uh, he says, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Be, do your best, be eager about this. And again, this doesn't happen by osmosis. If all, uh, I don't mean to preach at Sunday school, but I'm going to preach. If all of your theology is only being gleaned and grabbed on Sunday mornings, 
you're trying to become a theologian just by osmosis. If you're not spending time in God's word throughout the rest of the week, you're, you're starving your theological knowledge. You're starving yourself theolo- theolo- theologically. And that's why Paul is talking about be a worker at this. It's a task that, revi- that requires activity. You've got to be about this. Be in the word. Be out there laboring. But also, it's, it allows for creativity. That's what I think it means when it can mean both a farmer and an artist. It allows for creativity. Which is to say, if you read the theology of John Calvin and you read the theology of Martin Luther, they're going to read really different. And that's okay. Not that they say different things. Sometimes they do. But it's also to say that they approach things in a different way. And that's, that's what's beautiful about this. But the point of all of this is that the more you labor at this, the more you will delight in what you discover. And what you learn. And that's what he wants for each of us. That's why we have theology. That's my challenge to you. And it is, to, is to enjoy discovering what it means to be a good theologian. And that brings me to, finally, perhaps, what is systematic theology? So if we, if we are all called to be theologians, we are all called to, as disciples of God, to be uh, growing in our knowledge of God, that's essentially what theology is, then how do we properly do that? Well, number one, we stick with the word, but uh, again, if you're looking at a pyramid, the next step up of that is what we would call systematic theology. What does that mean? What does that involve? Anyone want to venture a guess? Systematic theology. You raised your hand? No? You don't want to raise your hand? Okay. Systematic theology is a term that sort of conveys this practice or discipline of systematizing, organizing all of our theological assertions that are found from God's word. So you're taking all of, of perhaps what God's word says about, let's take the doctrine of salvation, for instance, soteriology. We're going to get there months from now. But when you, when, you, when you want to develop a theology of the salvation of God that he reveals in God's word, what do you do? You go to the word of God, you collect all of the references regarding God's salvation, and you put together a theology based on what God's word reveals. You're organizing all of your discourse about God. That's systematic theology. Systematic theology is organized discourse about God and what he has revealed about himself. One person sort of calls it the study or the science of God. And you're just taking all of the truths that God has put in his word for us to glean, for us to know, for us to grow in. And you're, you're organizing them. You're putting them in an order that allows us to quickly understand and know this is what God's word says. This is what God's word reveals no one, and maybe, maybe you do, maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to venture a guess. I don't think anyone here has all of God's word memorized. Maybe you have large portions of it. But maybe, I, I'm venturing that you don't have all 66 books put to memory. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to. But what systematic theology allows us to do is to know this is what God's word says. I've, I've grabbed what these, doc, what these verses convey about who God is from God's word, and here's what those words say based on the rest of what God's word reveals. And this is, so now I can know for certain that God's word says this about 
salvation. It says this about who Christ is. That's what it is. It's a, it's a method of, of keeping what the Bible says about God, about man, about sin, about end times, or all the different things in a way that's digestible, in a way that's sort of practical. So what's, what's included in systematic theology? Well, there's, there's ten fields that essentially we're going to look at. I'm sure there's perhaps others that you could include in here. But these are the ten main ones um, that, we could, that we're going to study throughout the next several weeks uh, of being in this class, theology. The first one uh, would, to come after me, I'm, I'm still on time, Jason, so next week, um, is bibliology, which is the doctrine of the Bible. Uh, the second one is theology proper, which is just essentially the doctrine of God. You're, we're, we're looking at what God's word says about who God is and, and coming away with a theology of God, which is discourse about God, about God. Um, Christology, we're going to look at that, which is the doctrine of Christ. Pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to look at angelology, which is, of course, the doctrine of angels. And usually coupled with that is a study of demonology and the study of demons and Satan as well. All those go together, of course, because uh, Lucifer was an angel uh, in eternity past. So studying angels helps us understand Satan, which helps us understand demons. All of those kind of are coupled together. We're going to study anthropology, which is the doctrine of man. Why is man the way he is and why was he created this way? We're also going to study the doctrine. This is a have you ever heard of this word, hamartiology? Who, who wants to know what that is? Hamartiology? Hamartian. Study of sin. Study of sin, yeah. Uh, you may have not heard that word before, but we're going to study that, hamartiology. Soteriology, the study of salvation. Ecclesiology, the study, the doctrine of the church. And eschatology. I, I know this room is going to be filled when we get to eschatology because that's the study of, of revelations and we can predict the future. I'm just kidding. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. If you come here for that, might be disappointed. Uh, the point of all that is, is that each one of these is incredibly vital. The summum was to come up to. Why? Why? <laughs> I was joking, but you're, you're, I've seen them, so maybe you've seen them too. There are all kinds of, of clips going around about, you know, this thing and that thing and the other thing about the end times and how can we know that this is, this is the end times. And I receive, I'm not, I'm not making this up. I should have kept it. I receive in my mailbox once a month an anonymous envelope with probably about 40 pages of notes from some person. I don't know who this person is. Um, It's some person in the community. Um, And they send me like 40 pages of notes detailing about all of these numbers that you see in the world and, and how Obama might be the Antichrist and how Trump is is, going to lead us back to, um, you know, Victory and I don't know. He it is, it is very elaborate. You know, like you know, Trump's birthday is this, and you know, if you add this number, then it's uh, you know this number. And then look at Obama's number. He, look at it means six six six. And it's how how can we refute that? We might snicker and laugh, but this guy, whoever it is, he's he's at least putting a, a lot of homework into this. So how can we refute that based on what God's word says about the end times? That's where our eschatology comes into play. And if you're not certain on that, then you, can, you might look like a fool if you try to dismantle this. I, I, don't, I, I don't put any stock into that. I'm just saying it, it behooves us when there's a lot of 
conversation going on about end times things. There's all kinds of weird things happening in our world right now. We should know not only what the God's word says, but what we believe about what's going to happen in the end times. That's why these are incredibly important. More to the point, too, if you want to talk about, think about it this way, your understanding of sin will also inform your understanding of salvation, which will also inform your understanding of the church, which is going to be influenced by your understanding of Christ. So therefore, your understanding of homartiology is going to be influenced by your soteriology, which is going to influence your ecclesiology, which is going to be informed by your Christology. You see, all of these things come together. They're all super significant for us to understand and to us to keep in mind. And each of one of these things builds off the other, and they're essential for you and me to study. So, uh, last little thing here. That's an introduction to systematic theology. I'm going to sign for Jason next week to start on that. Uh, and who knows when we'll finish all of these different fields of study, but I'm excited for them. If I could leave you with this, why, why do we need systematic theology? Well, we've been kind of circling around it, but three quick reasons. It helps us explain what we believe. If you want to be able to um, express or articulate what you believe, you need systematic theology. You need this to be able to say, this is what I believe about this. We just talked about that. It helps us also defend what we believe. Uh, there's no way that we could be able to refute uh, even an atheist, someone who comes up to you and says, I don't believe at all. Like uh, someone, I, I, you know, I, I, I've posted some stuff on social media. I get comments all the time. And sometimes I try to engage with these commenters. Other times I know they're just looking to pick a fight, so I just delete it because it helps relieve me of my stress. <laughs> and it, it helps save my sanity. Because sometimes they're just looking to argue about everything. Uh, that's not profitable or beneficial for anyone. Um, but essentially, how, how do you refute? How do you? How do you? How are you able to defend what you believe? Systematic theology is what allows us to do that. Do just that. Um, and lastly, uh, I think systematic theology helps us grow in what be, what we believe. This is, I think, the thing that I would like to stress the most is just that being a theologian is being a disciple. And if you, you say here this morning that I, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of God. Well, that means you are a theologian. As we said at the beginning of last week, you know, if someone says, I don't need theology, I just need Jesus. You always ask them that question. Who is Jesus? And they're going to give you a theological answer. They might not think about it that way. But however that question is answered is going to prove how much they know or don't know about theology. It's going to prove it right away. If they say, oh, he was, yeah, he was a good teacher. He was a good influencer of men. He was a good humanitarian. You know that their theology automatically, you know that they are just skimming over the surface of what God's word has meant to reveal. Or they've been informed by some sort of, sort of um, outside influences that are telling them that Jesus wasn't really God. He was just a man. And he did good things. The importance of theology cannot, I don't think, be stressed enough for the life and uh, sort of the health of the church. I'm, I'm not going to get on a soapbox, but why do we see so many, so many outlandish things being either promoted in the church or being conveyed in the church or being accepted by the church? 
Because the church's theology has been blown out of the water to where we don't even see its importance anymore. We're like, we remember when Paul is talking about this in Ephesians 4, and he says, we have to, uh, let, me, let me read Ephesians 4, verse 11. And then I'll, I'll close with this, I promise. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried, uh, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That whole thing, you know what he's talking about? He's saying, be a good theologian because that helps your brother or your sister in Christ be a good theologian. And when you get off, they can get off. And when they can get off, you can get off. And then soon enough, you have a whole body of believers who are, as he says, being tossed about by every wind of, of doctrine. Cunning words, crafty speeches. Theology is so important for you and for me, for your faith and for mine, but also for God's glory. God is glorified when his sons and daughters are growing, as he says, growing up in every way into Christ that is just blossoming in our theological knowledge. So over the next several weeks and months, that's what I invite you to do. Grow in your theology. Uh, enjoy uh, this this journey, so to speak, that we'll go on, learning about what God's Word says and about why it's important that each of us be a theologian.